Hey there, podcast listener. Chris Roseborough here right at the front of the podcast. Just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it is. If you don't already support us financially, we truly can use your help. So get on your computer. Go on over to fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons and support us. And, of course, if you would like to do it the traditional way, make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your financial support because we truly can't do what we're doing here without it. All right, on to the program. I enjoyed making it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Here we go. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, November 10th, 2011. Okay, my brain is mush. It, oh, man. I've been writing it. Well, it's hard to explain. I've been working on a journal article that has to do with fascism. And it requires me to spend my days reading and writing, and um, or at least part of it. And ah, thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment. The goal of which: help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and to help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of crazy things being said out there because. Uh, certain people in the pulpit or on stages nowadays seem to think that they just have the uh, right and the authority to, well, just read the Bible any old way they want to. Rip a passage out from here, rip a passage out from there, put the two together, and presto blamo, they've got their own theology. And, and uh, well, we basically do the corrective work and go, wait a second here. Now, I understand that you're a popular author. I understand there's a lot of folks out there that just think that you're the bee's knees, but um, that thing you did with the scripture there, that, that's not what the scripture is teaching. You're lying about God. You're taking his name in vain. Yeah, that's what that means, by the way. When you talk about taking God's name in vain, uh, the, the majority of the places where that takes place is not on somebody's smartphone where they're texting, you know. Um, the majority of the uh, the taking of God's name in vain occurs in Christian churches on Sunday morning nowadays. As a result of it, uh, you need to check to make sure you're not being fed spiritual cyanide. Uh, because when people are making stuff up and, and attributing it to God, yeah, that's some pretty dangerous things going on there. I mean, uh, you know, I... I you know, <laughs> I, I think about the uh, the guy who was just convicted of manslaughter when it came to uh, to Michael Jackson. I, I I don't know the guy's name. I really don't follow that kind of the news. But but uh, the thing is, is this is that um it, uh, yeah he his negligence his uh, led to the death of Michael Jackson. And see the thing is, is that pastors out there who are wrongly handling God's word, who think that they know better then God and Jesus Christ are worse. They think that they're getting a vision from God to do things the way they're doing. And and so they're heading off in these strange directions and the ends justifying the means, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, they're doing serious damage to themselves and to others. And so 
Um, they're they're more they are they are far more dangerous than um, uh, a, a doctor who's uh, n- not practicing medicine correctly. Because here's the deal: uh, a quack doctor, the worst thing he can do is kill you. Um, a bad pastor, he'll send you to hell. And so, I mean, yeah, it, death is a terrible thing, and it's going to happen to all of us. In fact, um, you know, a hundred years from now, everybody pretty much alive at the moment will be dead. And so, I mean, se- you know, a hundred years from now, there will be seven billion more graves in the ground. And, uh, yeah, yay, exciting stuff, should the Lord tarry. But, um, I mean, think of it this way. I mean, the, the majority of people who've lived, well, they've all died. I mean, so, you know, um, you and I have a date with death. That being the case, um, yeah, it's it's horrible and it's tragic when people die untimely deaths at the hands of people who are supposed to be caring for them, not hurting them. It you know, bad things happen in a fallen planet like ours. Um, but the, again, then again, uh, keep in mind you're gonna die, and uh, and you know that's gonna happen anyway. So I mean, the tragic circumstances of your death, the, the details are gonna vary from person to person. Um, but the again, the big thing is not that first death that you got to deal with. It's the second one that you really want to watch out for. That's the one where you end up in hell. And so, um, so when we go to church, the expectation is is that when the pastor's opening up the scriptures, what he's teaching you is the truth, not something that he cobbled together or thunk up all by himself while working out listening to ACDC. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, so, all right, let's uh, talk about what we're going to talk about on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. Um, Here's the deal. I, all the stuff, I, I can't keep up. I, li- <laughs> oh man, I, I feel a little bit under pressure right now because um I'm past a, a deadline uh, uh, that I need to submit a, an article. Uh, and so I've been, you know, putting in the time working on the article, not quite done yet, but um, on top of it, you know, the this, let's just see the stack of things I could talk about. It's huge. It's huge. It's like <laughs> everything went crazy all at the same time. And, you know, so that, that, that's okay to be expected. This this year is the worst heresy hurricane season on record that I've uh, that I've ever witnessed. And so I can't keep up with it all. So I'll just kind of work my way through it. A little bit at a time, knowing that I've got enough probably for uh, one uh, uh, today's program, tomorrow's program, and part of Monday's program to boot. So uh, let's talk about what we're going to talk about on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. Uh, this is the slice of the stack that I want to get to. Got a couple of uh, – oh, man. Okay. Um, crazy things going on in seeker-driven world out there. Um, I I had to uh, I've put up several new exhibits in the Museum of Idolatry. One has to do with uh, New Spring Church. Uh, new Spring Church would be um, pastored under Perry Noble, and their Florence multi-site uh, a few weeks ago uh, kicked off their uh, their um, praise and worship time. Um, is that the right, even the right way of putting it? Praise and worship time starting, they led off with an Ozzy Osbourne cover song. So we're going to talk about that. I've got, <laughs> got a church youth group looking kind of thing out there. That's comp- completely butchered an Usher song. Um, and the name of their, their name for it is Jesus got us fallen in love. And it's, <laughs> I'm just going to play it because again, it looks so awful. It's 
oh man. You know, listen, folks, if you think that you're being relevant by butchering uh, popular culture songs, you're not. It's It really is, well, it's lame. It, uh, you'll, you'll see what I'm saying here in a second. Um, let's see here. Uh, what else we got on deck for today? Oh, you know, which reminds me. Um, kind of out of the blue, uh, yesterday, uh, a, uh, a Christian rapper, um, he, he does hip hop kind of music. His name is Jovan McKenzie. And he sent me a, pr- a private message on Twitter and we, we struck up a conversation. And so I, t- I took a listen to, uh, some of his music and wow, <laughs> Well, I, I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to contrast um, music from a guy who is a legitimate uh, artist, you know, on his own, who has the theological chops to claim to be a Christian recording artist. Uh, this guy's name is uh, Jovan McKenzie, and he's uh, currently, uh, I guess he's currently working on an album right now entitled Narrow Road Famine, and um, and... There's a song I want to play from uh, his website called Second Timothy Chapter Four. Um, I, I gotta admit, you know, here's the deal. I, I'm an overweight nerd. Okay, um, if you listen, theology books and me, we get along. Okay, I love geeky things like computers and and Apple products and. And I, you know, I, for years I've gotten very excited. Uh, it was like Christmas in the middle of the of the year when, whenever Apple would have one of those media events announcing, um, announcing new products. So, so um, me and rap music just have never, I, I, I've never really listened to it. I mean, I, I just haven't. But this gentleman, um, uh, 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 Joe Von McKenzie. Uh, compelling lyrics, compelling lyrics, and uh, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to play for you, um, the, the youth group's attempts at butchering an Usher sh- song. I'm going to play for you, uh, New Spring Florence's attempts at uh, doing an Ozzy Osbourne cover song in church, and then I'm going to play for you, Jovan McKenzie. Because the the difference is night and day, just absolutely night and day. Two of them are posers. One's the real thing. Two of them are just aping the world. The other, this guy is trying to use the medium of music and rap and hip hop to convey a message. And he does it really well. And uh, and so I'm I'm excited to kind of pass that along to you because you know just in listening to some of his music in in preparation for the program today and, and the little conversation I had with him it really kind of perked me up and uh, it because I, I don't talk about it too much but sometimes what I do grinds me down um, it it um, especially this when I'm when I'm having to do work that has to deal with reading about and studying and interacting with uh research material that has to do with fascism because of the of the, of the project I'm I'm working on but um so it when you how do, how do I put it when you're dealing with dark things on a, on a regular basis it has a tendency to to grind you down 
And so uh, Jovan McKenzie's, uh, you know, he, out of the blue, just uh, struck up a conversation with me privately on Twitter. And it really, really lifted me up. And it was nice to hear from somebody I've never met before who has a real love for Christ, the gospel, and has a real good, solid grasp of what's wrong in the church. And, and I'm sure uh, Joe Vaughn has seen stuff that, uh, you know, I only hear about or see th- glimpses of on television, uh, but the African-American community is being exploited like you wouldn't believe by these um, religious predators and their false doctrine and their false theology. I mean, uh, Laverne Adams, uh, you, you think of, uh, you know, I, it, you got the point. The, the, the gals who hung out with uh, T.D. Jakes at his uh, Woman Be Loosed conference, I mean, folks like that, um, you know, and so uh, it's nice to hear a voice that is bold and clear and with a, it's obviously has the theological chops behind him. So I'm excited to play that for you. Um, I got a news story today. Well, let's see here. Um, do I want to talk about the zombies? No, I, I've got <laughs> Yeah, the other day. I, I wanted to get to a Patricia King video. I didn't get to it. The name of it is Super Strength. We'll get to that today. Joel Osteen, by the way, had uh, Oprah at uh, at at Lakewood. And so we got a Joel Osteen update. Uh, I've got a, a, a Christian Post uh, article talking about um, whether or not uh, you can use vampires as um, well. Can va- the name of it is can vampire tales like Twilight be used to further the the, the gospel? And so uh, that that's the question that the Christian Post answers. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to read uh, that article today as part of our news. And then just to see how it goes, uh, we're going to be reviewing a sermon by Vince Antonucci from The Verve, Viva La Verve, out there in Las Vegas, uh, entitled uh, Monster, Monster, Dracula. So he, uh, he tries to do a sermon where he weaves a vampire theme into it. I mean, why talk about it hypothetically in the news when we can actually go to I can just tap into probably the world's largest collection of bad sermons on the planet in one place, at least on one hard drive, um, and you know, and take a listen to see just how well a vampire sermon does at uh, at being a, a vehicle for proclaiming Jesus Christ and Him crucified for our sins. So, um, and then yeah, I don't see. I'm not going to have time to get to the Francis Chan thing. I'll have to do Francis Chan tomorrow. Um, there's a there's a Francis Chan article entitled failure to help the poor could send you to hell failure to help the poor could send you to hell i'm going to have to t- uh, take a look at that one probably tomorrow so uh, anyway so here's the deal there's so many things i can talk about today i may not get to them all that being the case don't worry don't fret um those of you who are listening to the podcast you know after after this edition of fighting for the faith is over just Cue up the next one, and on tomorrow's edition of Fighting for the Faith, we'll just kind of pick up where we left off. So uh, with that in mind, let's dive into the program proper. And since we're going to be doing a music segment, I don't have music for a music segment, um, as promised, okay? I'm I'm going to – I feel like a part of my job lately is becoming a DJ, but uh, (laughs) – 
Um, I, I, I posted this in the Museum of Idolatry, which, by the way, I am the curator of the Museum of Idolatry. You can find it at a littleleaven.com, a littleleaven.com. And it was posted yesterday, November 9th, 2011. And the name of it is Jesus Got Us Falling in, um, in Love. Um, and, I, and I have to do this. On behalf of the Church of Jesus Christ, let me offer my sincerest apologies to Usher um, for um, what you were about to hear. Here we go. Sorry, I <laughs> forgot they, <laughs> they turned off the auto-tuner for that little segment there. And whoo, <laughs> that was just awful. Complete with bad theology, too. <laughs> it just... to go to the Museum of Idolatry and just watch part of the video. <laughs> it's so bad. La, 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 la. songs like this that are that convince me that we're probably already in the great tribulation really that's the best you got yabba dabba do this is 
bada bing, bada boom. Yeah, there's some lyrics for you right there. Yeah, see, I, can't you just see, I mean, how many people are being brought to their knees in repentance and faith and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins as a result of this church selflessly uh, making themselves relevant to the world? I'm in love you, baby, but that you knew, because tonight is Jesus and you. baby, tonight, Jesus God is falling in love with him. Yeah, baby, tonight, Jesus God is falling in love, falling in love. Oh, so So that was uh, Jesus got us falling in love. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, that song's so bad it might cause people to no longer love Jesus. But um, you know, here's <clears throat> um, specimen number two uh, from a recent uh, praise and worship time at the uh, New Spring Church Florence campus. Uh, this will be part of the multi-site that they got going on there at um, New Spring Church. We've got this, um, well, how do you have this praise and worship song? Um, no, that'd be the wrong way of putting it. Um, well, okay, so here's the deal. Uh, they played this Ozzy Osbourne cover song, Praise and Worship Style, and what I mean by that is, is they, they made sure to actually project the lyrics up onto, the, um, onto one of the screens there so that uh, you can sing along um well maybe it's best if i just let you hear it here is the new spring uh, florence praise and worship band covering ozzy osbourne's song here listen for yourself Yeah, that would be um, <clears throat> Ozzy Osbourne's uh, uh, Crazy Train. Yeah, because that's just great praise and worship um, stuff. Um, but they they are projecting the lyrics. So if you know, if, you know, the folks there at the Florence campus can sing along. Get out of 
Yeah, crazy train is right. Going off the rails on a crazy train. That would, I think that's probably um, a tacit. Well, it's not really tacit. It's it, maybe that's some kind of a subliminal. Maybe it's not even subliminal. That that's an overt warning from the praise and worship band. Yeah, don't be going to New Spring Church because that's like a crazy train and they're going off the rails on a, um, a crazy train there and is it me or is it um the singer isn't all that great either you know because nothing says relevance like a, a hit song from the last millennium Think about it. Listen to preachers. I've listened to fools. Again, I, I'm beginning to think that the praise and worship band there is trying to warn people. <laughs> Run quick. You know, I remember the article, The Elephant in the Elephant Room, where um, the guy from the Grace to You blog was pointing out the fact that this kind of stuff, um, uh, this is strange fire. It has no business being brought into a um, into the center of the church. But uh, then again, you know, um, you know, I I don't see any indication whatsoever to think that uh, that New Spring is really even a Christian church anymore. Um yeah, uh, the 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 preaching is well, it's not Christian. There's nothing Christian about it. Um, and uh, in fact, the past this past sermon preached this week. Oh man, it, it, um, I'm gonna have to. I'm working on a segment. I don't know if I'm gonna do a full blown sermon review or if I'm gonna do a segment. Um, but I'll, you, you'll get to hear um, kind of maybe a montage of uh, seeker driven types. Uh, you know, like Perry Noble and others including James McDonald, weird, um, who've been really mishandling God's word lately when it, as, it, as it pertains to money. There seems to be a um, a rash of that going on nowadays. Now, okay, so I, I can't listen to the rest of that Crazy Train cover song. Now, as promised, I would like to offer you something as an alternative, something that is actually, um, that I consider to be honoring to Christ because this artist, um, he, he's got the theological chops to actually back up his claim to being a Christian artist. And you can find his music um, at uh, jovonmckenzie.com, jovonmckenzie.com. Again, this, I never heard this guy until yesterday. And, you know, I, I listened to some of his, uh, his music and was thoroughly impressed with the fact that this guy's got the theological chops to you know to make him to basically send a message, and so I'm going to play this one in its entirety, and I have his permission to do this. The, the art again, the artist's name is Jovan McKenzie. The name of this song is Second Timothy chapter four, and this guy nails it. Jovan boldly, boldly 
calls out the false doctrine and false teaching that has invaded the church. And basically, this thing speaks for itself. So without any further ado, here's what I would consider a legit Christian song. Here we go. Yeah. You know, the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall he teach us to themselves, having itching ears, and they shall turn away from their ears from the truth, and they shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things and do affliction through the work of an evangelist, making full proof of thy ministry. <laughs> Let's go! People deceive, yep, people confuse, yep, they go to church, but they don't leave with the truth. Second Timothy, chapter 4, Second Timothy, chapter 4, Second Timothy, chapter 4, Second Timothy, chapter 4. People deceive, yep, people confuse, yep, they go to church, but they don't leave with the truth. Second Timothy, chapter 4, Second Timothy, chapter 4, Second Timothy, chapter 4, Second Timothy, chapter 4. I'm sick and tired, let me tell you what. Cause they don't want the gospel of Christ They want a psychiatrist And so they heaping teachers among themselves That'll tell them about hell That'll tell them about well But uh, Christ ain't no bank of America He's a holy God So if you're preaching that error You need to cut it off Like circumcision uh-huh. And stop preaching at 11 Your mouth should be shut tight It's 1 verses 10 through 11 I'm so grieved, so grieved Because they teaching this When did Jesus tell us to repent so that we Wrong with being rich. What I'm saying 
I'm saying is there is something wrong with seeking it. Okay. So be content. Read Hebrews 13 and 5. Or, or 1 Timothy 6 verse 8. That's the word of God. The word. They're getting mad because I'm exposing these pastors. I'm yelling out Titus, baby. The first chapter. And I'm not a rapper. I'm more like a minister. Which means that I'm a servant. And no, I'm not finished, bruh. I can't just go to any church screaming Jesus when most studies preachers preaching doctrines of demons. Man. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus told us, be aware. Oh, you want to get filthy rich, you gon' see a snare. Woo. And Jesus said his sheep won't follow another. Yeah. I'm yelling out truth to my brothers because I love you. Yeah. People deceive, yeah. Yeah. people confuse. Yeah. They go to church, but they don't leave with the truth. Second Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Python's Flying Circus Church. Welcome to Build a God. How can I help you? Hi, I got this Build a God certificate from a fellow co-worker, and I came to check it out. Oh, that's nice of your friend. You must be excited. Well, uh, what exactly are we doing here? Oh, you silly man. We're building your very own deity. I don't feel comfortable doing this. Seems sort of like blasphemy. Oh, don't be silly. Everyone does this. Let me help you. First off, you decide whether your god is male, female, or unisex. Well, the Bible talks about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it also says that Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day, so he has to be male. You? Okay. Next, we have to define the attributes of your god, like whether he's loving, kind, or compassionate. Well, in the Bible, God is just, he's merciful, he's righteous, and he's wrathful, all at the same time. Okay, then. Well, what is your God's take on sin? He only condemns it. It's pretty obvious what God thinks of sin. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Humanity's only hope is in the blood Jesus shed on the cross. Are you saying your God doesn't accept gays? Don't think so. God destroyed Solomon Gomorrah with hellfire and brimstone because of it. I don't think he has a very high opinion of it. C could you excuse me for one moment? Sure. Hello? Can you get me the mall security? Thank you. <laughs> Sir, I would be a religious terrorist here. <laughs> yes! He's a closed-minded Bible believer. <laughs> Yes, I'll distract him while I wait for your men to arrive. Thank you.
Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Warning, most attempts at trying to mimic the culture aren't relevant. They just are silly. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means that we really truly depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And if you don't already partner with us financially, uh, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. And uh, when you get there, you're going to see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, so, uh, yeah, that... Yeah, that uh, Jovan McKenzie song, uh, just blistering lyrics, but he's right. I mean, and he does a nice, bold job of calling out the sinful, false teaching and doctrine that's uh, taken, you know, taken hold uh, in many of the churches. And so, uh, you know, I'm thankful for uh, the work that he's doing there and the message that he's proclaiming. And uh, again, I don't, you know, that's... That's really uh, I don't listen to a lot of that ty- that style of music, but that song you know grabbed my attention and uh, one that I'm going to stick into my uh, my <laughs> into my iPod and and listen to while I'm working out. Maybe it'll you know motivate me to you know to to lift more weights. I I don't know. Okay, moving along. Yeah, I got to make a decision here. All right, from the Christian Post, uh, can vampire tales like Twilight be used to further the gospel? Seems to be our theme today. Um, this is by Nicola Menzi of the Christian Post, and the uh, and uh, here's what it reads: A Christian uh, commentator takes Twilight uh, series with. A Christian commentator takes Twilight series author Stephanie Meyer to task for ruining the vampire genre by taking the traditional staples about the eternally damned bloodsuckers and softening them with teen romantic tripe. Oh, yeah, the, the, the world of vampire stories will just never be the same. <laughs> Otherwise, ignoring the eternal nature of death and sin. 
In a post for Think Christian, a collaborative Christian blog that discusses Christ culture and the ways that faith plays out in everyday life, John J. Thompson, a songwriter and musician and the creative director at EMICMG Publishing, expresses his belief that the whole world needs good vampire stories because they are so importantly Christian. Um, okay. Um, hmm. Yeah, I, I had no, I just did not know that the gospel was so dependent on vampire stories. Anyways, Meyer, who published the first Twilight novel in 2005, created the male protagonist of the popular book series and movie franchise as a romantic and lovable guy. Meyer's uh, leading man and hero, Edward Cullen, is described as inhumanly beautiful, quite the opposite of the vampires seen in. Uh, Nosferatu and the numerous Dracula films, or even in Blade. Calling the Twilight movies frustrating, John insists that the series is a, uh, is a problem because it messes with the quintessential essence of vampires. Um, okay, um, can, can, can I just point out the obvious? Um, unless I'm missing something here, aren't vampires, like, not real? Um... Anyway, yeah, so apparently, you know, you can't, no creative license allowed on something that was created using creative license. Right, okay, yeah, so now we have an inconsistent worldview when it comes to vampires. Okay, all right. Okay, so um, so calling the Twilight movies frustrating, John Johnson insists the series is a problem because it messes with the quintessential essence of vampires and that a postmodern mindset of insidious relativism as well as Meyer's apparent ignorance of the vampire genre is to blame. So apparently there's vampire heresy going on out there. In his post for Think Christian, uh, titled Twilight Has Ruined Vampires, Johnson <laughs> claims... Myers, is a graduate of Brigham Young University and a Mormon of uh, showing complete disdain or ignorance of several immutable laws of vampirism. You know, uh, <laughs> just, can, I, can I point out something else that's kind of obvious here? Um, don't you think that the bigger issue with the author of Twilight is the fact that she's a Mormon and that the, the Mormons show disdain and in, in ignorance for several immutable doctrines of the Bible. Yeah, I just consider that to be the bigger elephant in the room rather than the twisting of the, the vampire genre. This, and this coming from Think Christian. Anyway, the first of the four laws of vampirism Johnson lists is vampires are damned and dead. There is no hope for redemption. Okay, so that's one of the laws of vampirism. He explains that by blurring uh, good and bad, Meyer ignores the eternal nature of sin and death. Okay. Johnson also complains that instead of recoiling in pain and dying in excruciating death when exposed to light, which is what happens to sin, Edwards glimmers like uh, Bowie in 1972. Okay, Johnson then cites John the 319 as he reminds readers that vampires cannot stand the light. Yeah, um, by the way, in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 19, doesn't mention anything about vampires there. Anyway, arguing that vampire stories, like many myths, reinforce biblical truths and allows readers the imaginary playgrounds to practice saying no to temptation. Right. I don't need an imaginary playground to help me there. 
Oh, man. Johnson concedes that he is in no way claiming that a vampire story ever saved anyone's eternal soul. Yeah, we'll figure that out from our sermon review today. Anyway, Johnson takes on Twilight and the vampire genre in general is uh, quite different from what is often proclaimed among mainstream evangelical Christians that the series is dangerous and should be avoided by Christians. As the latest installment of the vastly popular movie series is set to hit theaters nationwide on November 18th, yeah, I missed that one. Anyway, I haven't even seen one or two, or I haven't seen any of these. Anyway, uh, critics are buzzing once again, and the warnings have increased. In the new installment of the series, Breaking Dawn, Part 1, Edward and his once-human lover, Bella Swan, marry and have a child. Okay, so vampires can now procreate, despite the fact they don't have souls. Okay, anyway, besides the troubling notion of the undead conceiving babies, some Christians believe that an entire issue of vampirism, fictional or otherwise, has no part with Christianity. Films like Twilight and Harry Potter only serve to seduce young people into Satanism and witchcraft, according to goodfight.org, a nonprofit ministry encouraging spiritual warfare against the powers of darkness that is operated by Joe Schimmel. Schimmel is the senior pastor of Blessed Hope Chapel, an evangelical non-denominational church in Simi Valley. Okay. Anyway, so you get the idea here. Um, so, you know, I've got one guy from Think Christian who's really upset because... Uh, the author of Twilight has ruined the vampire genre and that the vampire genre is so important uh, for helping people understand the battle of good and evil and, and how it pertains to the gospel, supposedly, that that uh, that he kind of misses the big thing here about... Anyway, and then you, know, you got the other guy. Anyway, okay. So uh, we're going to test this today. Can vampire tales like Twilight be used to further the gospel? Well, we're going to answer the question by listening to a sermon by Vince Antonucci called Monster, Monster, and um, the subtitle is Dracula. So and he's going to try to preach the gospel using vampires to um, to do that. Um, now, I just so you know, I'm coming from the point of view that somehow, I'm not sure how at this point, but somehow... Christianity has survived and thrived for 2,000 years, sheerly using the Bible and proclaiming Christ and him crucified for our sins. We, the Christianity didn't have to hijack popular culture. Christianity didn't need vampire tales. Christianity didn't need werewolves or anything else of the nature. And, uh, and I'm absolutely convinced that uh, when you try to mix vampires in the gospel... Um, the vampires win and the gospel loses for some reason. Um, that would that's just my take on. Now I, I understand that there's there's I you can use um, how do I put this? You can use stories from fictional tales that that are popular to help draw out the meaning of a biblical text to help somebody understand the biblical text, but. Apparently today's uh, theme for fighting for the faith is uh, is overly depending upon the culture and um, and trying to mimic and ape it and hijack what's going on in order to preach the gospel. I think what's the problem here is that there's um, a lot of people who buy into a false notion. Now, if have you all ever heard? In fact, you probably have on this program heard seeker-driven leaders. Uh, talk about the fact that their vision, their job is to convince the unconvinced, that the, the job of the pastor is to spend his time reaching out to people to convince the unconvinced of Christianity. 
that is like what the 180 degrees backwards. And the reason why that's backwards is because the scriptures teach that we are all dead in trespasses and sins. Nowhere in scripture is uh, is evangelism equated with the task of convincing the unconvinced. Either in the uh, the the pictures that Scripture paints, or in the, the, uh, the clear theology that Scripture teaches. Okay, uh, evangelism is like net fishing. Okay, it, that when you when a lot of people when they hear that Jesus says to the disciples, "I'll make you fishers of men," that they think of lure fishing. It ain't that. Okay, the disciples were not lure fishers. They didn't, you know, they didn't make artificial bugs and put them uh, and cover hooks with them and then sit out in a stream and cast their line out to try to fool a fish into believing that they're eating a bug meal or 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 they didn't engage in that kind of stuff at all. They engaged in net fishing. Okay, you cast the net. And you hope that there's fish underneath the net as the net descends into the depths. You pull the net up, you drag it in, and you see what you caught. Okay? So preaching the gospel is like net fishing. In other words, uh, the the non-Christians are like happy little fish out there swimming and doing their thing. And next thing you know, the net of the gospel has surrounded them and they're being drugged into the kingdom of God. That's one picture, okay? Jesus also describes, uh, you know, the preaching of the gospel as a as a sower of seed, somebody who takes seed and casts it out into different types of soil. You got good soil, bad soil, rocky soil, and hard path, and things like that. And what happens is, is that, um, you know, is that the seed is the word of God. And it springs up into somebody's life. It comes to life. That's the idea here. And so, um, the, you know, the idea then is this, is that in order to, in order for a crop to yield a good yield, you don't want to, you don't want to sow weeds. You you just don't want to do that. If, you know, one of the things that I've been going, kind of going on a tirade about lately, I'm going to try to bunny trail myself here and then come back is this idea that um, there's a lot of folks out there who are just doctrine divides. Why all this emphasis on sound doctrine? Why is it that you're constantly pointing out the false teaching that's going on in the church? Chris, can't you just focus on the fruit? Um, Yeah, that's kind of silly because here's the idea, okay? Bad seed produces bad fruit. To believe that you can, you can help, you can bring somebody to Jesus using false doctrine and twisted scriptures, or that you can sanctify a Christian by twisting the scriptures and teaching false doctrine is like believing that you can sow the seeds of weeds in your yard and expect a nice, big, healthy, lush Kentucky bluegrass growing in your backyard. You sow weeds, you reap weeds. Okay? If you want to, if you want wheat growing in your farm or in your farm field, you plant wheat seeds. Okay? So the word of God is when you, when you are preaching it and proclaiming it is like throwing out wheat seeds. And what does wheat seed do when it gets into good soil? It grows and produces a crop. 
and multiplies 60, 80, 100 fold. Got it? But if you throw out wheat, weed seeds, you get a harvest of weeds. So preaching false doctrine and expecting healthy, multiplying Christians is like sowing dandelion seeds in your backyard and expecting Kentucky bluegrass to grow up once it starts to grow. It doesn't make any sense. So, I mean, that anyway, coming back. So evangelism is likened to net fishing, to sowing good seed. Evangelism in Scripture is described as raising somebody from the dead. As for you, you were dead in trespasses and sins, but God made you alive in Christ. You read Ephesians chapter 2. So the idea here is, is that yeah, yeah, I don't need the weeds of the world to proclaim the gospel. I don't need to convince the unconvinced. What I need to do is preach the gospel, and God uses the hearing of the word of Christ to give faith, to bring people to repentance. I don't need the trappings of the world. I don't need to start off a church service with uh, with ACDC or with Ozzy Osbourne. I don't need to hijack an Usher song or anything of the sort. What I need to do is make sure that the integrity of my net is intact to make sure that I'm sowing good seed and not weeds and make sure that I'm relying upon the power of God and not my own power because in my own power, I cannot raise somebody from the dead. So here's the deal. Convincing the unconvinced assumes a heresy. Okay, The heresy that is assumed, if you believe that evangelism is equivalent to convincing the unconvinced, the heresy is Pelagianism. It's either semi-Pelagian or Pelagianism, but both of those have been declared heresies. Neither of them is the truth. And so one of the main reasons why we're seeing all of the crazy things going on in the church today is because, well, as one theologian put it, we're in the middle of the Pelagian captivity of the church. All of these crazy things are have at their core a false theology, and that's the theology of Pelagianism. The belief that the job of evangelism is to convince the unconvinced. It's not it at all. God is the one who draws us. God is the one who enlightens us. God is the one who raises us from the dead. God is the one who puts us in Christ. God is the one who causes us to be born again. You didn't choose to be born the first time, and you certainly don't choose to be born again. God does this, and he brings us to repentance and faith in Christ through the hearing of his word. And first, you need to preach the law lawfully and tell people the bad news. Then you need to preach the gospel and proclaim to them the forgiveness of sins won by Christ. The preaching of the law creates the thirst for the gospel. That's the way Walter put it. So anyway, yeah, so... All of these crazy things going on, drawing on pop culture, these are distractions. And it's like basically putting weed seeds in with the good seed and expecting a good crop. You can't do it. It's that, I mean, it's just not possible. All right, so here's the deal. 
Let's talk. We're up on our second break. I'm obviously not going to get to the Patricia King segment again. I'll have to save her for tomorrow. Um, but uh, what we're going to do is we're going to take our second break, and when we come back, we're going to, well, review a sermon by Vince Antonucci where he tries to draw on vampires, okay, um, to draw, to basically try to draw on the vampire theme in order to make his sermon, re- sermon relevant so that he can convince the unconvinced. And uh, let let we'll see how he does. I mean, so you know, since the question is out there, you know, can you can you basically? I mean, we need vampire stories apparently, and uh, there's a whole there's vampire heresy going on in the Twilight series, and as a result of it, it's it's making the gospel less effective. I mean, which is ridiculous. Anyway, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Think Christianity, we need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some. Listening to Byron Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Rosebro here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Oh, man. (laughs) Sermon review time. One of the things I do here is uh, to help promote the program and let people know about it. I send out uh, status updates on Facebook and Twitter uh, tweets. I hate that name, uh, that word, by the way. And uh, today I said, on today's Fighting for the Faith, I will be reviewing a sermon about va- vampires. Don't worry, I will put a stake through its heart. And I spelled stake S-T-E-A-K. That's right, you're going to kill a vampire with beef. <laughs> yeah, shows you how much I know about vampires. And spelling. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, 
The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via the Verve in Las Vegas. Vince Antonucci presiding. He's a leader, a fuhrer, but he's not not a pastor. name of the sermon is Monster Monster. Dracula. Now, keep in mind, the whole goal here of him doing a sermon using vampires is to make his sermon relevant so that people will, uh, the unconvinced will become convinced of Christianity and make steps, uh, baby steps towards Jesus or something like that. And personally, I just think it completely gets in the way of the gospel and, well, it relies upon a false understanding about human nature. Every human being born since Adam and Eve sinned, uh, we're all born dead in trespasses and sins. We have to be born again. We have to be raised from the dead. And that only happens through the preaching of God's word. It doesn't need Dracula. It doesn't need the invisible man. It doesn't need the latest and greatest movie or anything of the sort. It needs to be preached without any of the distractions. And people need to be told of their sins, and they need to be told that they have a gracious and loving Savior in Jesus Christ who bled and died for those sins. So anyway, with that, let me kill the music. Get it? <laughs> um, any, yeah. Sorry, vampire theme here. Um, here's um, Vince Antonucci and his sermon, Vam- uh, Monster Monster Dracula. Here we go. Hey, you're tuned in to the Verve Podcast, live from the heart of Las Vegas, Nevada. Thanks for listening, and we will the Verve. The original story of Dracula was written by Bram Stoker in 1897. But since that original story, there have been all kinds of versions that have come out, including all kinds of movie versions, the most recent series of which has taught us that vampires can actually be quite sexy and romantic and have killer abs. And there are... (laughs) Sexy vampires with killer abs. That's why I would never qualify to be a vampire. There are some kind of goofy versions of Dracula out there. There's the, uh, the Count of Sesame Street. One little kitty, two little kitty, three little... Yes, uh, uh, uh. And, uh, and then, of course, Dracula somehow scored his very own kid's breakfast cereal, which is just odd and kind of disturbing if you think about it. It's like, look, buddy, see the man on this cereal? If he could, he would suck the life out of you. And it's got marshmallows. It's like, really, what are cereal companies thinking? Yeah, and, uh, well, that's a f- it's funny that you would put the question like that, Vince, because, you know, what are you thinking uh, having to bring vampires in in order to somehow teach Christian doctrine? I mean, it makes about as much sense as putting a, well, a vampire on a box of cereal, don't you think? What's next? It's like... And buddy, look what we got you. It's a box of Freddy Krueger flakes. He would like to come and kill you while you sleep. These are Charlie Manson O's. It, see the man with the, on the cover with a knife? Helter Skelter, buddy. Helter Skelter. And, and these, buddy, these, this is cereal killer cereal. The man on this box is the son of Sam. His dog, neighbor's dog, told him to kill people, people just like your mommy and daddy. I wonder what our neighbor's dog will tell him to do. 
Yes, kind of odd uh, serial choice. But, uh, so there are all these different versions of Dracula. But I want to stick with the original story as written by Bram Stoker. So uh, the story begins... Uh, with this. Now, apparently this is vampire sound doctrine. This is sound doctrine when it comes to vampires because, you know, if you're going to go to the original source, this would be the original vampire story, so there's no vampire heresy going on here. This guy named Jonathan Harker. And, and Jonathan Harker is going to this obscure part of Budapest uh, called Transylvania. He's going there because there is a guy there uh, named Count Dracula who wants to move to England, and he's going to help him with the paperwork for all the real estate transactions. But when he gets there, um, it's just kind of strange. He, he, it's this big castle, and, and he goes in, and this Count Dracula is a very old and very odd man. And, and as he stays there, it, it just keeps getting kind of stranger. Like, he notices that Count Dracula will only... So, you know, I remember when I was in elementary school. Um, one of the things that we had to do in elementary school, would we, we would have to give oral book reports. You know, you'd, you'd have a book that you were supposed to read from a, an assigned reading list. And then everybody read the books, and then they had to write a report on the book and then give a oral presentation to the class uh, on the book itself. Makes me wonder if this is... At this point, uh, you know, Vince Antonucci giving us, you know, kind of a elementary school book report on on Stoker's um, Dracula. Mm-hmm. Okay. Only meet with him at night. It's kind of weird. And and when they're when it's time to eat, uh, Count Dracula will serve him a meal, but he never eats. He just kind of watches as Harker eats his meal. It's kind of strange. And, and there are certain parts of the castle that he's not allowed to go in. And, and he starts to realize that, like, it seems that Count Dracula is finding new reasons for him to stay longer and longer. And he's never allowed to go outside. And he starts to think that he's become a prisoner in this castle. The weirdest thing that happens is this one particular day when Jonathan Harker is shaving and he feels this eerie presence behind him. And so he turns around and standing right behind him is Count Dracula. But the odd thing is that he was shaving and looking in the mirror and there was no reflection of this Dracula. Kind of strange. And so he starts to fear that Dracula is actually a murderer and is going to kill him. And he wants to leave, but he's not allowed out. And so one day when he's by himself, he decides to see if he can find maybe a different exit. And so he starts making his way through secret passageways and underground tunnels until finally he comes to the very bowels of the castle. And he walks into this room and there's all these coffins. And so he walks up to one and he opens it up. Dracula. It turns out that he is a vampire. No. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to add all the uh, little accents there too, you know, to help add to the suspense. I mean, what's the point of preaching on vampires if you don't have, you know, the, the appropriate... You know, background noises. We continue vampire. Well, uh, as the story continues, Dracula moves to London and he finds new people to prey on. And I would tell you the rest of the story, but it's very long and it would make me pee my pants because it's a little bit scary. And, uh, and so anyway, we find out that Dracula is a vampire. And, and a vampire is a soulless 
being. It's a soulless being who is... You know, I'm just wondering, um, do you think that Vince is going to do this well of a job of correctly handling God's word as he did, at least giving us a, a thumbnail sketch of the of the the drama and suspense that is the book Dracula? Yeah, I don't know. Doomed to live eternally. It, it turns out that uh, that vampires are are like walking evil, and they're undead, and they have the strength of twenty men. Which, coincidentally, me too. It's kind of weird. And um, and uh, vampires like Dracula, they're strongest at night. They're very weak during the day, and so they sleep during the day in a coffin or a crypt, but at night, that's when they become strong. And they never eat food. Instead, what they do is they bite and suck the blood out of people, and through that, they gain life, and they grow younger. In fact, remember I said when he gets to Budapest, to Transylvania, this Dracula character, he's a very old man. Well, when he moves to London and starts finding all these new people to prey on, he gets younger and younger and younger. So, uh, also, if you get bit enough times by Dracula, well, then you become a vampire as well. So, uh, I think we could define a vampire this way. We'll put it on the screen for you, kind of a, a simple definition. Uh, vampires seek to suck the life out of others so they can gain life by serving themselves. Vampires seek to suck the life out of others so they can gain life by serving themselves. And, and I just want to tell you, so you know, I, I don't believe in vampires. Except for that, I, I kind of do um, believe in vampires. And, and here's what I mean. So you'll notice now that vampires, after he's taken the time to tell us what they're all about and, and uh, you know, what happens to them and the, the entire lore around them. Notice this is orthodox vampirism. Um, that um, no no heretical vampirism going on in this sermon, uh, but uh, that uh, that this somehow becomes the primary metaphor for this sermon. Okay, a vampire. When when you start to think about it, a vampire is a purely selfish being. Purely selfish. A, a vampire exists to exist. You know, their whole uh, thrust in life is just. To continue their life and and to continue living they take the life of others they suck the life out of other people so they can live they're just purely selfish creatures like you will never see a vampire out helping a woman an old lady across the street you know they, they don't think of others only themselves you'll never see a vampire doing community service out feeding the homeless uh, you'll never see a vampire starring in a commercial for the save the children campaign you know they, they don't do anything for other people they just exist for themselves and they suck life out of others for themselves. And, and I'll tell you this, it's, it's a terrible way to live. And, and I don't believe in vampires except, well, I kind of I do believe in vampires because I've just seen so many people, tons of people who live exactly that way. Now, they don't bite people's necks and suck the blood out for life, but man, they do exist off of others. You know, they live in such a way that they um, kind of act like everyone else just lives to serve them. And, and whatever they can do, whether it's manipulate you or take things from you, whatever they do. It sounds like you're describing it like a seeker-driven um, leader. Oh, so, sorry. They'll do it for themselves because they want to find life for themselves. 
And they really don't care about you. So they'll use other people. They think the whole world revolves around them. It's like they exist to exist and everyone else exists to serve them. Kind of like a seeker-driven leader, you know, because, you know, they cast a vision. It's the job of the people to make the vision. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, just the vampire connection there seems really strong to me. And I come here tonight with a warning. And my warning is this. Beware the vampire. Beware the vampire. And what I mean by that... Okay, yeah, I'll do that, man. That is... Uh, we need to be careful lest we become vampires. We need to be careful because we can get to a place where really we're just living selfish lives for ourselves and expecting others to serve our interests. And, and, and if you go in that direction long enough, there can come a day where you look in the mirror and realize there's no reflection looking back at you. I wonder if anyone in this room, and I'm not going to ask you to do this, but I wonder if anyone would say... I think it's me. I think I've become a vampire. And I know no one's going to admit that. We don't think of ourselves that way. Even if you were that person, you wouldn't, you wouldn't acknowledge it or even recognize it in yourself. But we could find out about you really easy. Like we could find out if you're a vampire just by studying your life a little bit. Like, for instance, we could look at the place you live. And we could see, is your place relatively clean? Or is it kind of a mess because it's beneath you to, to do cleaning? Or maybe it is clean, but the only reason is because you have a roommate. Roommate who? Oh man. Ugh. Um, you know, it's the, the irony here is is that you could use the vampire theme, and and actually land on your feet with the gospel. Weird, huh? But you know, so let's take a look and see if you're selfish. Do you clean up your room, or does your roommate clean it up? Ugh who takes the initiative to clean up after you and all your messes because you never clean up after yourself. Or, or maybe you're married, but you don't do any of the chores because your mate, your, your spouse exists to serve you and do the things around the house that need to get done. And, and the truth is, you're a vampire. We could also look at your attitude. Maybe you're the type of person who um, just always sees the negative in things. You always find something to complain about. Everything can be good, but, but you're going to be the person who said, yeah, but, you know. And, and maybe you're the type of person who waitresses hate to have you at their table. You know, and, and you might, no, that's not me, but they do. And, and when you leave, they're like, thank God that person is gone because I can't stand that kind of customer. Maybe you have kids who roll your, their eyes all the time. Oh, man. <laughs> What a super superficial handling of the topic of sin. Are you a vampire? Yeah, well, yeah, the test is take the vampire test. Oh gasp. Oh no. Ooh, this I mean this is like the theological equivalent of having a broken nail. And because you're in a bad mood again, here we go again, another day of a bad mood. We could also find out if you're a vampire by looking at your friendships. Like, with your friends, is every conversation, think about this, is every conversation you have about you? Do you always walk into every, uh, to every kind of encounter with another person to tell them what's happened with you this week and another story about yourself and I'm experiencing this problem now? And you never ask questions with your friends. You, you never say, well, how are you? Like, I just want to hear about you. 
You never inquire. See, then you could be a vampire if you don't ask about other people in your conversations. Because it's just about you. In fact, when your friend does start talking about themselves, honestly, what you're doing is just waiting for them to stop so you can say what you want to say about yourself. You're not even really listening. We could also uh, find out if you're a vampire by looking at your checkbook. You know, your money. Right, yeah. <laughs> what, do, what do vampires buy? A lot of, you know, I'm just curious. Does it all go towards you and what you want? Or, or will we see if we look at your checkbook that, wow, you, you're actually a generous person and you give to things beyond yourself. You give some of your money to God and to other people. We could find out if you're a vampire by looking at your life here at church. You show up, uh, you're here, you know, you show up and you expect to be served when you show up. You expect, you know, you want the music to be... Right, you show up to church <laughs> expecting <laughs> to, you know... To have your pastor serve you. Yeah, that's sure sign that you're a vampire. Oh, man. The music you like, you want uh, the funny things to be remotely funny. You want the message to hit you and help you to grow. And if you have kids, you drop them off at the children's ministry and want them to be served. And, and all that's okay. But have you... Except, or, except you could be a vampire. Found a place where you can give back and where you can contribute. And if not... Maybe you're a vampire. We could also look at your life at work. Maybe you're the kind of person who's done real well for yourself and you've kind of climbed up the ladder, but the, but the deal is that you've walked over everyone else to get there. They're like, your footprints are on everyone else that works back because you don't care. It's about you and, and I'm gonna advance no matter what it takes. And, and so you just walk over other people and, and they all know you're good at what you do, but they hate working with you. See, I think if we were honest tonight, uh, some of us would admit that at least maybe sometimes we're vampires. And the honest truth is, uh, sometimes I am a vampire. I am. And, um, and here's the worst thing about being a vampire. The worst thing about being a vampire is um, vampires can't be a part of the kingdom of God. They can't be a part of the... Okay, so... <laughs> If you're a vampire, you are damned. Okay, all right. So now, now we've got, we've heard the verdict. You know, you, you take, have you taken the vampire self-evaluation test given here by Vince Antonucci? Have you? Are there any of the things that you've answered yes to? If so, you you may be suffering from being a vampire. And the bad news is, if you are a vampire, well, then you can't be part of God's kingdom. Sounds serious, doesn't it? kingdom of God. There, there's lots of bad things about being a vampire. Uh, being a vampire, it, it's just not all it's cracked up to be, which is interesting because people who are vampires tend to think that they've got it made, right? Because the whole world revolves around me. I get what I want. I make other people. Okay. Do you think that vampires can just choose to not be vampires? I mean, that you know, the, goal, the problem with vampires is that they're choosing to be vampires. And if only they would just choose to be humans, they would stop being vampires. You think that's the problem? People do what I want, but, but it's really not all it's cracked up to be. I mean, uh, it, it tends to be a lonely life because your best friend is you, you know, because you're the, you're the person you, that you're interested in. And, and, and you tend to go through life with a very narrow perspective because you only look at life through your own eyes. You never kind of put yourself in somebody else's shoes and go, oh, it's just your own eyes. And I'll tell you this, the most shallow people I know are vampires. Most shallow people I know. Vampires tend to live lives that are very repressed and stingy 
and ugly, and the effect they leave on other people is bitterness. But the worst thing is that vampires can't be a part of the kingdom of God. Jesus talked about this time and time again, that uh, he can't... Yeah, I'm, I'm just not familiar with all the Jesus vampire uh, sections of scripture. Okay, let's see, see what he does here. ...came to earth to serve, and that he calls people who follow him to serve. You know, the, the life of a vampire is absolutely the opposite of the life of Jesus and the life that Jesus has called us to. In fact, now I think we could uh, go with this definition earlier. We said vampires seek to suck the life out of others so they can gain life by serving themselves. Well, here's a, a definition we could give for Christians. Christians seek to give life by losing their own through serving others. Hmm. So, so Christianity is based upon something you do. Uh-huh, that would put us under the law again. See, it's the exact opposite. And so maybe some of us tonight would, would say, I'm not going to raise my hand, but I see some vampire. I mean, I see Dracula living inside of me. And if that's true, what we need to do is kill the vampire inside of us. Okay, so uh, you've got a stake to do that. You have a stake to kill the vampire inside of us. And by the way, it's not S-T-E-A-K, despite my gaffe. Earlier, although that you know, you know, garlic supposedly repels them. I mean, is it any wonder you would use steak to kill a vampire? Yeah, and afterwards, you you know, you have a barbecue, but steak and garlic. And <clears throat> sorry, we continue. So, how do you do that? Well, you know, uh, although Dracula does have the strength of twenty men, there, he has some weaknesses as well. Like you can kill Dracula in two ways. You know what they are? You can cut his head off, or you can stab him through the heart with a stake, right? And, and he has some weaknesses, like um, uh, Vampire's Dracula is, is repulsed by garlic and by the cross, by a crucifix. Now, garlic I can understand because it's kind of smelly stuff. You know, I like it, but it's kind of smelly. And so you hold up some guys, <laughs> you like that? I worked in that all week. That was my Dracula garlic. <laughs> and, um, but, but, like, why the cross? Like, garlic, okay, but why a crucifix? Why is the cross the thing that repulses a vampire? Well, it's because the cross stands against everything that a vampire stands for. You know, a, a vampire is all about self, and, and a cross is all about a life of self-denial. A, a, a vampire is all about taking. The cross is all about giving. And, and Vampires cannot stand the cross because it stands for everything that they stand against, you know? There's this one time in the Bible where um, two of Jesus' friends, James and John, Jesus had these 12 uh, guys who were like his closest followers and friends. Two of them, James and John, come to him and they ask him this question. And I want to show it to you. If you have a Bible, open to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, if you have a Bible. We'll look at it in a second, but let me kind of set up what happens here first. So James and John walk up, and they make a, a vampire request of Jesus. They go to Jesus, and they say, listen, Jesus, um, when you come into your glory, okay, that's how the request starts. Now, I'm not sure what they mean by glory. I think there's two possibilities. We might think, oh, they're, they're talking about when Jesus goes to heaven, you know, when he reigns over the world from heaven. Maybe, probably not. Because at this point, most people still didn't quite get the, the spiritual dimension that Jesus was trying to bring in, that he was coming to be a king, but a spiritual king. Most people still thought at this point that Jesus would eventually become like a physical king of like the nation. And so probably what they're thinking, and they say, when you come into your 
glory is when you take over, you know, when you become the political leader, when you become the, the king, you know, when you sit down on your throne here on earth, they, they say this, when you come in your glory, can we sit at your right and left side? Okay, that's the request. When you come in your glory, when you come into power, whether it's here on earth, heaven, whatever, can we sit on your right and left side? And, and what they're saying there is, listen, Jesus, when you get power, we want some of the power. You know, we, we want to be like your top guys. When, when, you, when you get authority, we want some of that authority. You know, like, like I know you got these other guys, but we want to be like the number one and two guys. You know, we want to be right there with you, right by your side. We want the power. We want the authority. Now, hopefully you understand, that's a vampire request, right? Vampires are always looking for what's in it for me. What can I get out of this? Total vampire request. And here's what happens. Uh, Jesus got 12 of these guys, right? 12 apprentices, disciples. And um, the two of them, James and John, make this request. The other 10 overhear it, and they become indignant. They're furious. Now check this out. They're not furious because it's a vampire request. And why would you guys ask somebody? I mean, don't you understand the life Jesus is calling us to? And you're asking. No, they're upset because they think it's a great request. And they're mad that they didn't ask it. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. They don't get those seats. We want power. We want authority. You know, and so they're very upset by this. And then Jesus responds to them kind of battling over who should get these seats of power. So let's check out what Jesus says, um, starting in verse 42, Mark chapter 10 says, Jesus called them together, the 12 squabbling disciples, and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay, now there you heard, (laughs) well, quite by accident at this point, you heard the gospel. Jesus Christ came to give his life as a ransom for many. Ah, there was the gospel. Ding, 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 ding. You think the gospel might have something to do with going from being a vampire to being alive in Christ, to being truly alive? Do you think the cross might have something to do with it? And so Jesus says, um, listen, guys, look around. Man, you look around this world and what you see is that people who get power, people who get authority, they wield it like some guy with a big sword. You know, and they swing it around and, and they're telling people, you need to jump this high and you need to move over there. And, and they wield their authority and their power like it's a weapon. But not us. We are starting a different kind of kingdom, an upside down kingdom, the kind of kingdom this world has never seen. And in my kingdom, the kingdom I'm inviting you to be a part of, this upside down kingdom, man, we don't do power that way. But when you receive power, you use it to serve others. When you receive authority, you use it to become a slave to all. In this kingdom, if you want to be first, you take your spot at the end of the line. It's the exact opposite of everything you've been taught. And your request is wrong. Then Jesus takes it even further, and this is fascinating. Verse 45, he said, For even the Son of Man, 
did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, the Son of Man was a nickname that Jesus called himself. In fact, it was the most common thing that Jesus referred to himself as, Son of Man. And, and when you hear that term, Son of Man, uh, you might think, like if you have a little familiarity with the Bible and with theology or whatever, uh, you might think, okay, I think I get it because... So Jesus was fully God. He was always fully God, all eternity fully God. But he came down to earth, and in his time here on earth, he was a human being. And he was born of a woman, and, and he became a, a full human being. At the same time, he was fully God. But when he calls himself the Son of Man, what he's probably doing is kind of um, emphasizing his commonality with other people. He's saying, hey, I'm a, I'm a human being here on earth too. You know, I get it, whatever. And, and all of that theologically would be true, but that is not what that nickname, that term son of man is referring to at all. Here's what it's referring to. In the Old Testament, uh, there are different people who are given prophecies. They're given kind of these pictures of the future that from God that they're able to tell, but here's something that's going to happen in the future. Uh, there, there are people like Daniel and some others. Well, uh, one of the, the prophecies, one of the pictures of the future that Daniel's given and, and a few others is that there is going to come a day, and by the way, this day is going to come, when God is going to come to earth for a second time. He came the first time in the person of Jesus, and he came with mercy, and he came to serve and to share God's love with us. But God's going to come a second time. And in this prophecy, this picture of the future, uh, we're told that he's going to come a second time, this time not to serve, but to judge. And that he will judge the living, and he will judge the dead. And, and we will all be judged. Okay? And in that picture of the future, Daniel says, and others say, the one who will do the judging is the Son of Man. So when Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, what he's saying every time he says that is, I'm the guy in that picture from the Old Testament, because you guys know your Bibles, right? The Old Testament was their Bible. Okay, now I want to point something out here. Vince Antonucci is absolutely spot on here regarding uh, who the Son of Man is. He, uh, that's an absolute uh, claim pointing to Christ's deity, not not his humanity. In reality, it's pointing to him being uh, there to judge, and he's the the son of man promised in I think Daniel. So so far so good on that part of his Christology. I'm the one who will judge all of mankind. Okay, so it's real interesting right here because he says, "For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve." And, and what he's saying is, listen, I am the one who has the authority to judge everyone. And in fact, I will do that. There is coming a day where I am going to stand as judge over all mankind. And so if anyone should ever have the right to have people bow down to them, it's me. That's not exactly what he was getting at. If anyone should have people kowtow to them right here, if anyone should have people throw themselves at their feet, I am the son of man. I am the ultimate judge of all mankind. But, he says, even I did not come to be served, but to serve. If anyone should be served, it's me. But even I didn't come to be served, but to serve. See, the, the life of Jesus is the exact opposite of of Dracula, of vampires. It's a life of giving and a life of serving. And here's the surprise. I said earlier. So at this point, um, so so the problem is if you're a vampire, if you're selfish, 
And the solution is for you to look at Jesus' example of being not selfish, and then you need to decide to not be selfish the way Jesus was not selfish, and then presto blamo, you will no longer be a vampire. Yeah, this sounds like, I mean, seriously, I mean, think about it. I mean, um, <laughs> if you, the, the, the metaphor that comes to mind here is imagine you go to the doctor and uh, the doctor says you have terminal cancer and uh, you're up late at night watching infomercials and somebody's out there selling some kind of a topical ointment that'll cure cancer. Hell yeah, we've got our fine cancer-curing suntan lotion. Just squirt some of this on where where you think the tumor might be, and shazam, it'll fix you right up. Yeah, for five easy payments of ninety nine ninety five, we have our cancer-curing suntan lotion, and it's F SPF thirty two to boot. Isn't that great? Yeah, um, yeah, uh. <laughs> This is a topical ointment solution to the problem of sin, which goes all the way down to the core of your being. Uh, your entire nature has been corrupted as a result of sin, and you just looking at Jesus' example and trying to emulate it isn't going to solve your sin problem. I, I mean, I don't recall in any of the uh, vampire stories, vampires just making the decision to follow the example of humans and them ceasing to be vampires anymore and becoming human. That the life of a vampire isn't all it's cracked up to be. It sounds good, you know, the, the I want to be a rock star thing. You know, you get that light, you get the fortune, the fame, and you got it made, but really it's not the life you want. It's, it's a miserable existence. Well, here's the surprise. Um, the life of a servant, the life of a slave, the, the life that Jesus is calling to may sound kind of miserable. It, it may sound noble, you know, to, to live this life where I'm just going to lay my life down for everyone else and I'll serve the needs of others and, and, and I'll just do whatever I need to do. It may sound like, well, I guess that's, you know, kind of Mother Teresa sort of thing. It's a noble life. It's got to be kind of a miserable life, right? I mean, you don't care about yourself. You don't do things for you. You don't try to get things for you. I mean, what's there to be happy about? You know, what, what do you get? What Jesus teaches is that what you get is everything. What Jesus teaches is that this whole... So you get everything if you just choose to not be selfish. That's not how somebody becomes a Christian. Okay. Thing is upside down. And when you give your life away, you receive life. When you serve, that's what brings joy. In fact, Jesus, who in this passage we looked at, says, Man, I want you to serve others and give your life away. Look what he says in Luke chapter 9, verse 24. Luke 9, he says, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me, We'll save it. And so he's saying, you know, if you want to try to, to gain life, you want to suck life out of others, what will happen is you'll lose your life entirely. You yeah, your handling of this text is very bad at this point. You won't really live. But if you seek to give life away, then you will really find life. So the way you're saved is by choosing to give life away. Mm-hmm. And how would we do that? And I'll tell you this, and from uh, understanding the life of Jesus a little bit, and from every experience I've ever had, it is so true. The way you gain life is by giving your life away. 
before I moved here to Las Vegas, uh, about three years ago, I, I was a pastor of a church in Virginia Beach, Virginia for almost 12 years. And a couple years in the church, I decided to do something. I, um, I decided to invite about 10 guys. Okay, I, I got to pause here for a second here. Um, so he's going to go on a story about himself. But uh, let's take a look at scripture here, okay? Now, technically, you could kind of weave a th- vampire theme out of this, um, but it's not necessary, and so I really won't do that. But here's the idea. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you, you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that the, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Okay? So you could talk about our sinful human nature and how prior to being Christians, we are all dead in trespasses and sins. And we are in bondage to sin, death, and the devil and following after the passions of our flesh, carrying, carrying out the desires of the body, and we're by nature children of God's wrath. You could say the damned. Okay, Verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with Christ and seated us with with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Yeah, the emphasis is all on everything that Christ has done for us. And that salvation is a gift. It doesn't say, for we are saved by following the example of the selfless Jesus Christ. And notice it doesn't say that some of you may have been dead and may have been vampire-like or may have been selfish. Paul here, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, makes it clear that each and every one of us is dead by nature in trespasses and sins. It's not the, some of you might be, might be vampires, especially if you don't clean up after yourself and your roommate is the one who's constantly having to clean up after you, or if you're having conversations and you keep talking about yourself. No, he makes the statement that every human being is by nature an object of God's wrath, dead in trespasses and sins, and it's God who makes us alive. Not you, not me, God does. We continue. 
twice a year to be like in a group with me. And uh, we would meet once a month. We would read a book during the month. And at the end of the month, we would meet and discuss the book. And, and I wanted to invite guys that had, that had life in them. You know, you know what I mean? Like people who you just been like, man, there's something about this person. Like, I want to be like this person. I want the life that they have. And, and, and so I, I decided I'm going to invite people that I, I feel like if I hang around them, I'm going to become a better person. And hopefully by hanging around me, I could teach them something and help them grow a little bit too. So I, I'm just going to invite the best 10 guys I can find. So the first year I do, I've never done this before. I'm like, oh, who do I invite? And, and as soon as I started thinking about it, the first person was obvious. It got difficult after one. But the first person, I'm like, George Pillsbury. I, I know I'm going to invite him and we'll see who else. Uh, the reason George Pillsbury is... He's the greatest person I ever met, I think. He, he was the person uh, who I was like, man, that's who I want to be like. I, I was about 30 at the time. He was about 50, a little older than me. Uh, he had two teenage daughters, car mechanic. Um, he was in the Navy earlier in his life. But this guy just had joy, joy. And, and he was encouraging and um, just, just uh, life-giving kind of guy. And I was like, man, if I could be like him when I'm 50, I will be okay, you know? And so I'm going to invite George. And so um, I go to George. And I say, hey, I want you to be in this group. He says, yeah, man, I'd love it. That'd be great. I said, cool. All you have to do is read a book a month and we'll talk about it. He said, I don't, I don't think I could read a book a month. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I don't think I have time to read a book a month. I said, all right, let's meet about that and, and we'll talk about it. So, uh, I will tell you, I ended up doing this book group for years, and I had lots of people who told me, I want to be in the group, but I don't have time to read a book a month. And so, with each of those people, I would get together, and I would do this. I would say, so you don't have time? They'd say, no, I don't have time. I'd say, okay, uh, man, you, do you watch any reality shows? And they'd be like, yeah, I watch um, Survivor and Amazing Race. And I'd be like, oh, okay, so, so you have time to watch Survivor, but not to read a book that could change your life. Okay, um, you watch any other shows? Yeah, I watch The Office and House. Okay, so you have time to watch House, but not uh, to read a book that would change your life. Do you watch any sports? Yeah, I watch um, football on Saturdays and Sundays. So you have time to watch football, but not to read a book that could change your life. Okay, do you ever uh, surf the internet? Do you, ever, do you have any hobbies? Do you ever play any video games? And they'd be like, okay, I have time to read a book. So this is my first time doing this. I get together with George, and I'm like, so you don't have time to read a book? He said, nope. I said, well, let's, let's look at your life. What, what's your life like? What do you do like Monday through Friday? He said, okay. Um, I get up at 5 a.m., it's okay. He said, I, I spent at least an hour with God. I just, I just like to pray and start my day, focus on God and read the Bible. I said, okay. And he said, then, you know, six-ish, I, um, I make lunch for my wife and I make lunch for myself because we bring lunch to work. It's all right. And he said, then I cook breakfast for my wife and I, and then I go and wake her up and we eat breakfast together. Okay. He said, then I have to leave for work because I work at eight. All right. And he said, I work from eight to five. Then I come home. I said, then what do you do? He said, well, my wife works till six, so I make dinner. And she gets back about 630. And so when she gets back, we eat dinner. I said, okay, then what? And I'm waiting for Monday night football and Survivor. He says, well, on Monday nights, my wife, uh, my mother, you know, is really elderly. And so I go grocery shopping for her. And um, when I get to her house, I give her groceries. And she always has some, like, odd job around the house. And you do, so I do that. And on Tuesday nights, I lead a Bible study. You know that. I do that for the church. And um, on Wednesday nights, my wife and I are actually mentoring this couple who's struggling in their marriage. And so we're trying to help them with their marriage. And on Thursday night, I take my wife on a date. And he's going through his night. I said, okay, what about Saturdays? What do you do on Saturday? He said, well, on Saturdays, I fix cars for people in need who can't afford to bring them in to get fixed, so I just fix them for free on Saturdays. I was like, what, what do you do on Sundays, George? And uh, he said, well, I go to church. I'm there, you know, till 12 or 1, and then we got homeless ministry. We started this big homeless ministry in our church, and he said, I'm in charge of the clothes and the tents and the blankets, and so I got to be there to make sure homeless people have tents and blankets and, and clothes, and so I'm there till past dinner time. And when he got done, I said, George, you don't need to read the book. 
I think you need to write a book. <laughs> like, if you could write a book, that'd be really good. So I, I drove home from that meeting, and honestly, I was like, it was like I was doing math in my head. Like, I drove home, and I'm like, okay, Vince, so do the math. The one person you've met that you want to become like, the one person who you say, man, whatever it is about that guy, if I had that, man, I would like my life. Like, that's what I want to be. That guy is the most selfless, servant-hearted person you've ever met, and he spends his whole life pouring his life out for others. Therefore, ergo, so, you know, the, the sum total is, if you want a life like that, you've got to live like that. And I'll tell you, that's, that's the life I want. And honestly, that's the life I want for you. That's why I hope you show up every week is so you can find the kind of life that Jesus led. My hope for you is that there would come a day, not too long from now, maybe a few months from now, maybe next year, where we could look at your life and we would realize, man, you are no longer a vampire. Your life has become a lot like Jesus. And we could look at your life and it would just be obvious. We could look. So, yeah, you have to make progress in being devampirized. Rather than being raised from the dead and being changed from a goat into a sheep, from an unbeliever to a believer, from dead in trespasses and sins to alive in Christ, you've got to make progress along the lines of being less vampire-like by, you know, by reading good life-changing books and applying the principles thereof. Again, this is, this is like saying that, you know, believing in, in, uh, cancer-killing, uh, suntan lotion. It's, there is no such thing. Look at uh, the place you live, and we could see, man, you now do more than, more than your fair share of the chores. I mean, you do a lot around the house because, like, you're there to serve. And, and we can look at your attitude and see that, that you maybe you used to be. By the way, what he's describing is are the, the fruits of repentance, the fruits of faith. We do good works because we are a new creation in Christ. So he's looking at somebody going, oh, I want to be like that, so I just got to choose to be like that. Yeah, those are the fruits of the Spirit produced in someone's life. Um, yeah, uh, good luck on just producing that all on your own. Be that person that would complain and find negative things. And, 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 but now, like, you just try to stay positive. And sometimes it's a battle, but you fight that battle. And, and you're looking for things to, to encourage people. And you're just a joy to be around. And we could look at your friendships. And, and your friends would say, man, something happened. Because they always ask about me. Well, like, it's hard to get them to talk about themselves because they just want to know what, how I'm doing. And they have questions and they want to pray for me. And, like, it's just so different now. And, and we could look at your checkbook. And, and we could see that you have become a generous person because you finally realize it's not about me. My life is not about me. This world is not about me. And so I've got better things to do with my money than to spend it on myself. We could look at your life here at church and we'd still see you showing up and hoping that the message hits you and that you grow from it and putting your kids in children's ministry, but you would have found a place to serve. You would feel like it's wrong to come here and to suck it in, suck it in and not give something back. That's, that's a vampire. You wouldn't do it anymore. And we could look at your life at work and we, we would see that, man, you work hard and you're trying to do your best, but at the same time, you are a team player who, who you're just a joy to work with. And that's the life... I want for you because if you find that life you'll have found real life and until you start living that life you're going to miss out on real life i'll end with this um 
You know, the, the, the thing about vampires is that they are doomed to live eternally on this earth. They, they suck the life out of others, and because they do, they're doomed to live eternally on this earth. What a horrible thought that is. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine for all of eternity turning the news on every night for another night of life on this earth, another night where there's another child abducted, there's more people who can't afford a home or can't afford food to eat, there's uh, another war breaking out, there's, you know, more crimes against children. I mean, can you imagine? And all the things he's describing here are the fruits of our sinful nature. These are the results of our sinful rebellion against God. Imagine being doomed to live eternally on this earth. Now, the deal with Christians is that they are blessed to live eternally in heaven. Christians don't suck the life out of others. They give their life away, and therefore they experience real life here on earth, and they experience eternal life in heaven. And how amazing of a thought is that? Really, can you imagine? Can you imagine living a life for all eternity where every night you don't have to lock your door? Believe me, I think about that a lot. I'm really looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth. Looking forward to being done with sin forever at Christ's return. Oh, man. There's nothing to be afraid of. Can you imagine a life where you never feel lonely or alone because there's always these people there that care about you? Can you you imagine an eternal life where you never ask the question, where's God? Because you you know he's right there with you. And that's, that's the life you want. Jesus says, listen, if you lose your life, if you're willing to lose your life, to pour it out for... If you're willing to lose your life. Yeah, I think at this point you need to talk about the one who did lose his life for our sins. Who suffered for our sins. Please tell me, Vince, you're going to go there. Because at this point, you're making it sound like the way we get to heaven or the way we earn eternal life is by earning it. For others and in serving others, you will find life. You will find real life here on earth and you will find eternal life in heaven. And you know, the cool thing about Jesus is he didn't just say things. Jesus did it, right? He poured his life out. Okay, so it sounds like we're steering into the gospel now or something like it. In serving others, first, kind of metaphorically, he poured his life out by serving people as he lived here on earth. But then he literally poured his life out on a cross so that we could live. You need to explain why that was even necessary. Why did he need to pour his life out on the cross? Why? What, what was that? What is that? Doesn't make any sense. Can you please explain the details, please? So we're going to give you a couple minutes to think about that. Uh, we- You're just going to throw it out there and not explain it. We do this every week pretty much where we, d- we just give you a few minutes just to kind of contemplate all that you heard and experienced today. Maybe do some math of your own and, and say, okay, if any of that's true, if all that's true, therefore, ergo, so what do I have to do with it? You know, as I drive home today, what are the decisions I need to make? How do I need to live different tomorrow because of what I heard tonight? And so we want to give you a few minutes to do that. And during this time, we always make communion available. Communion's on the...
Uh, we're just going to make communion available. Yeah, there's some, you know, crackers and some grape juice. Serious? Just wander up when you're ready to have some. Tables with a candlelight, and it's a, a piece of bread and a cup of juice that represent Jesus' body and blood poured out on the cross. And, and it's a way for us to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made so that we could have life. He gave up his own. And, and so, um, if you're not ready for that, that's fine. But if you'd like to make communion part of your experience tonight, you can go to the. T- if you'd like to make it part of your experience tonight, tables during the next song, the band's going to come up and. Um, you can take the bread and juice back to your seat, and when you're ready, you can eat and drink to thank Jesus for what he did for you. And um, just use this time to, to really think about what you experienced today and maybe talk to God, um, ask him what's next for you, what's your next step in your spiritual journey. Yeah, just have a chat with God, you know, sit down, have, have a shot of grape juice and, and, and you know, a, a, a cracker, and, and then, you know, talk to him and just ask him what the next step is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. That, if that's all, that, if you want that to be part of your experience, you can. But, you know, maybe you don't. But, that, you know, either way, who cares? Journey. So let's pray. Okay. I want to point something out here. The example that Vince Antonucci gave of being a vampire was the selfish question asked by the uh, the Sons of Thunder um yeah well you know let us let one sit on your right and the other i think it was her mother asked the question right and jesus said you don't know what you're asking it is not for me to give those places who will be on his right and who will be on his left okay jesus himself makes it clear that his moment of glory is his crucifixion so let me tell you <clears throat> who got the place, the places of honor. One on right, the other on the left. <clears throat> Luke chapter 23, verse 26. As they led Jesus away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. <clears throat> and there followed him a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for Jesus. But turning to them, he said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and under the hills cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it's dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with Jesus. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. See, this is what James and John were asking for, and they didn't know it. The places of honor, one on the right and one on the left, right? Those positions were reserved for two criminals. And keep in mind, it was Barabbas who was released so that Christ would be crucified. Jesus is being crucified on Barabbas' cross. 
So one on his right, one on his left. Father, forgive them. So the cast lots to divide Jesus' garments, and the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. And if he is the Christ of God, the Messiah, his chosen one, let him come down. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him that said, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. So that's the story of the two, the one who was at the right hand and the other at the left hand of Jesus when he came into his glory. And it's sad because one persists in sin and unbelief. The other was brought to repentance and the forgiveness of his sins. Rather than hearing the gospel preached, that man saw the gospel being fulfilled in the blood-soaked wounds of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And he asks for mercy from Jesus, and he receives it. He didn't even have to... <clears throat> do any good work, so to speak, right? Didn't have to amend his ways, his vampirish ways, and, uh, in, you know, and fix things up and make progress along the lines of being devampirized. He received salvation as a gift freely right then and there on the spot. Because in salvation, humans like you and me as sinful as both of those criminals. That's what we deserve, by the way. What Jesus took, that's what we deserved. Your sins were being propitiated, and mine were being propitiated and atoned for by what Christ was doing on the cross. But that one criminal who prayed to Jesus for him to be remembered, he's declared righteous. And that's what happens. Justification, that's the biblical term that you look for, like in the book of Romans. No, by the law, no one will be declared righteous because from through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Okay? No one through the law, no one will be justified. That's what justified means to be declared righteous. Not because he was but because he's now clothed in the righteousness of God, the righteousness of Christ that is imputed to him, is a garment. Think of the parable of the wedding garments, you know, of the wedding feast and the guys having to wear the wedding garments. Right? <clears throat> so here, the one criminal 
is declared forgiven. And that's how you go from being dead in trespasses and sins to being alive. The king declares you pardoned. The king declares you forgiven. That's why it's so important that repentance and the forgiveness of sins be preached and taught and clearly expounded upon and exegeted from the text. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. The gospel message is all about what Jesus has done for you. And if you have been brought to repentance and trust and faith in Christ for the forgiveness of of your sins, then the King, Jesus, declares you forgiven. And the gavel comes down. The sentence has been given. And I love the way Rosenblatt says it. Yeah, but I know I'm guilty of sin. And the judge gets in your face and says, I am the highest authority there is in this land. What I declare righteous is righteous. There is no appeals court when it comes to God. And Jesus is offering full and complete pardon for all of your sins. And he raises you from the dead, causes you to be born again. Repent and believe this good news. And hear the gavel fall for you, that you are forgiven. Only then are you ever really alive. True life begins the day the gavel falls, and you're declared righteous in Christ. Eternal life has begun for you that day. Do you believe it? Cling to it. If you don't, repent and believe Christ died and rose again for you. So we've definitively proven that uh, those who try to rescue the gospel by attaching it to vampire stories, the thing that gets lost is the gospel. We didn't hear it really clearly proclaimed at all. Sad. Pray for Vince Antonucci and pray for the folks there at his church. Because that's not really a church. They're not hearing the gospel. They're hearing kind of a watered-down loosey-goosey, works-based kind of do-goodism that's not capable of raising dead sinners from the grave. Sad. All right, we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. We depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing working mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount, you can do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 
508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. <clears throat> so what'd you think? I'd love to get your feedback. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefate.com, or you can ask me my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and the mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>